Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. This week we have the second half, the number 6 through 12 of our Hawaii Pacific Health Summer Student Research Program. These are local students from our local grade high schools who are either in college now or recent graduates, and they all plan on having a future career in medicine. So just when folks thought that maybe we're not doing some of the latest, greatest research right here at home, we are here to dispel that myth. Each one of our students is working with physicians in the Hawaii Pacific Health System to come up with a project that is going to impact medical care right here locally in the islands. And for each one of these projects, they're going to be presenting their research findings. And this is, for some folks, a longitudinal project for the physicians that have led to some changes in certain areas like concussions, in joint knee replacements, and other types of surgeries, and really has helped us to change Change the way we practice medicine, not just here in the islands, but some of these studies are also applicable throughout the whole United States. So we're going to start today talking with our students and hearing a little bit about their background, their experience, and what project they're working on this summer. So joining me at the table to my right. Hi, I'm Melissa Kameoka. I went to Punahou School and I just graduated from Boston University studying neuroscience. Neuroscience. Okay. And you have plans to maybe go into medicine? Yes. What kind of area do you think you want to go into or just open to anything? Uh, right now, I'm hoping to become a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, but I'm also open to maybe like OBGYN or cardiology. Best thing to do is be open to anything because, you know, you go to school, you find out you really like certain areas, you might not like other areas, or just something just pulls you to make you want to dedicate all those hours to studying it. So speaking of, what are you working on this summer? This summer, I'm working with Dr. William Tsushima, a clinical psychologist at Straub, and we're looking at whether after concussions, there's differences between males and females in how they perform on testing and in their physical symptoms. And so we've looked at concussion. This is one of those projects that Dr. Tsushima has been doing for the last several years. And looking at this from the perspective of what is the diagnosis? How do we establish it? How do people get concussions? What is the definition of this? How can we prevent it? So now we're looking at the difference in symptoms between guys who get concussions and girls who get concussions. What are some of the symptoms of concussion that you're looking at for these two groups? Um, we're looking at maybe like nausea or dizziness, um, process, like slower processing times and things like that. So sometimes there have been reports that if you do have a concussion, maybe your ability to go to school, understand classes, take exams and stuff for up to several weeks afterwards might be impaired. So the best thing to do if you think you have a concussion is probably to take some time to recover. Right. What would be the optimal sort of recovery situation? I think just resting and um, not using your brain too much on any kind of hard schoolwork or anything like that is always good. And making sure that you're not doing too much physical activity as well is probably good. And are there any particular sports that you've learned with Dr. Tsushima people are more likely to get a con concussion than others? I know that football has a high rate of concussion just because of the nature of the sport and being a high contact sport. But then there's also concussions in like soccer with how they do headers and things like that, too. So, I And think, also cheerleading. Right. Cheerleading, too. It's sort of another one of those things that you don't realize could be risky. Mm -hmm. But when you think about how some of the acrobatics that are done with that particular type of activity, it really can 
cause some potential problems. Correct. If there's an injury. You know, it always makes me wonder if you're in high school and you're doing advanced math like calculus, trigonometry. These are things that I have somewhat nightmares about from years ago. And then you're told don't do hard classes or hard math or use your brain doing a lot of calculating or something. That just seems like it's a really inconvenient time if these are high school students that you're studying and they're trying to get into college that they would be unable to really participate fully in their academics. Definitely. I think it's a really big issue for that. Do you like sports yourself? Uh, I'm fairly interested in it. (laughs) I was horrible at sports and I had no risk of concussion because my favorite thing was not being an athlete. I will shamingly admit, although maybe not that bad. I was a mathlete. There was little chance of concussion unless I just was getting math problems wrong, which often happened as well. So it sounds like this is going to be another aspect of Dr. Tsushima's long-term study that he's looking at with concussions. And so far, any differences that you have found are pretty similar symptoms both for both the boys and girls? Um, for right now, the, research, the results that I've gotten have shown that there's not really too much difference between males and females, which is uh, a little bit contrary to what was found in the past. The results are the findings so far have been kind of inconsistent. So ours don't necessarily like completely contradict what was found in the past. But it is saying that there's no differences between the two genders. I think the one real message here is don't get a concussion. Yes. Try not to. <laughs> But if it happens, you know, take care of yourself and hopefully you'll feel better pretty soon because there's no symptom worse than nausea and dizziness, I'll tell you. All right. Well, I want to thank you for working on that project. We'll hear some more about that project soon when you present it. And also we'll hear about Dr. Tsushima's research. He's published in some of the journals about concussions in general with some of the different aspects that he's looking at. So thanks for sharing your summer and that study with us. Thank you. Okay, we've got some more great studies that we want to hear about. And next, across the table from me. Hi, my name is Zoe Simmons, and I graduated in 2016 from Milani High School. And now I'm attending UH Manoa, where I'm currently studying molecular and cell biology. Molecular and cell biology. Now, I know what a cell is. What's molecular biology? It's all the bits that are happening inside of the cell, pretty much. Okay, so you really got to like get down into yep. the nitty-gritty details. Mm-hmm atoms, electrons, and all those things I kind of remember. Luckily, you don't need a lot of that when you're practicing medicine. So you want to go into medicine yourself, is that right? Yes. Okay. Any particular area you're looking at? Right now, I'm kind of thinking of like either dermatology or endocrinology. Interesting. Okay. And those are actually connected in some ways. There's a lot of skin manifestations of endocrine issues, and there's, I guess, not so much in the other direction. So (laughs) I'll stop that thought. Tell me about what you're studying or what you're researching this summer. So this summer, I'm working with Dr. Justin Young. He's a sports medicine physician at Straub Medical Center. And we're looking into the usage and like the effectiveness of medical questionnaires and EKGs during the pre-participation eval of Division I college athletes. So what you're looking at is, should they do these medical evaluations or testing or EKGs? Or is it, should they not? Or what, what, what is the question? So we're more so, so there's kind of a controversy in as to whether or not the EKG should be a part of the pre-participation evaluation. So we're looking at to see whether or not, like, did it help us uncover some things that the medical questionnaires didn't? Or is there a way that we can use the medical questionnaire to predict whether or not they need an EKG or just some combination of the two? 
So part of the reason that this becomes a little controversial is that there's really very few numbers of individuals that get identified as part of a pre-sport type of activity that actually have a cardiovascular issue that will show up on an EKG Mm -hmm. or that would change their ability to participate. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately for some of the genetic syndromes that occur, the presentation is that your heart stops and that's pretty scary and shocking. And of course, people want to identify early on who that might be so then they can avoid having that occurrence. But it's very rare that those people get identified. So it's interesting. You're looking at this for division one. And is this boys and girls? Yep. A mixture of males and females and across a wide variety. I want to say more than 15 sports. That's more sports than I even know exist. Yes, same here. (laughs) Okay, so this is really going to help to figure out, hey, should we do no screening? Should we do questionnaires? Should we do EKG? Should we do some combination of all of them? Yes. So what do you think? It's hard to say because as much as we want to, like, do as much as we can to, like, do as much as we can to, like, try and save lives, to try and protect people, to keep people safe. There's also on the flip side, we want to be able to do a good job at doing those things. So making sure like infrastructure there is something that I've seen in the literature that they talk a lot about, as well as having people like educated to be able to conduct these types of screenings and whatnot. Sure. And there's also a cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a minimal cost, but there is a cost. And if you think of the thousands of students that are participating, should they all stop? Should they do this Mm -hmm. questionnaire EKG? Should it be once a year? Should it be every year? Should it be only with certain type of sports? Mm -hmm. I don't even know 15 sports. And I don't even want to try and list them because I'm going to miss some really important ones. So a lot of questions that come up with that. So that'll be interesting information that might change how we practice for some of the pre-participation evaluation. So thanks for working on that. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with the Hawaii Pacific Health Summer Student Research Program folks. And they are doing some wonderful projects we're going to hear more about in just a few moments. And we'll hear about some of the great research going on right here in the islands. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. I became aware of public radio first when I was in graduate school. I was a very fast fan, and from that point on, every place that I've ever lived, I seek out the public radio station on the radio dial, even if I'm vacationing someplace. And if there's any drive involved, I'm looking for the public radio station where I go. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Hawaii Pacific Health Summer Student Research Program students that are doing some wonderful research right here in the islands. Now, these are folks that have given up their summer. For a lot of folks who have, this may be their last summer off in between college and maybe going on to school, whether it be medical school or graduate school or beyond. And so they've given up about eight or nine weeks of their time to be right here to help us with research that we're conducting with some of our physicians right here in the islands. So we just heard about some interesting projects looking at concussions, looking at pre-participation evaluations that need to be done to make sure kids are safe to go out and play sports and do all those things that I was always really bad at, still am. And we're going to hear about some more exciting projects. Next, we have at my left... 
Hi, I'm Kristen Wong. I went to high school at Punahou, and I just graduated from Columbia University with a degree in neuroscience. Another neuroscience degree. That sounds really exciting. I mean, I always thought the brain, we didn't know a lot about what it does. We're still learning. Do you think we have a good grasp on the fact, the different functions of the brain and the fact of how we can keep it healthy, or are we still got a long way to go? I mean, I think we still have a long way to go. The brain is... You know, I don't know when we'll ever under, fully understand the brain, but the thing I like about neuroscience is that we study both the biology aspect, so, you know, the anatomy of it, and then we also study the psychology aspect of it, so we see how that plays into human behavior. Well, I got to tell you, something blew my mind a few years ago. One simple word, neuroplasticity. I honestly thought the brain was it. That's all you got. You bust your brain cells, that's it. You don't get any more. And now they're finding that you can have immeasurable numbers of different connections when you learn a new skill these neurons can connect to other neurons and develop all of these different connections that can help you with learning and all different aspects of medicine that I'll be honest I, I did not know when I was in school quite excited to hear about it so what kind of project are you working on so this summer I'm working with Dr. Cass Nakasone an orthopedic surgeon at Straub and we're looking at alignment um, in two different implant options following a revision total knee replacement so these are the folks who need to have knee replacement, and there's two different types of implants. What's different about the implants? So say a patient presents with joint pain, they'll go to a primary total knee replacement, and then if that fails, then comes the revision total knee replacement, which is what I've been studying. Um, the two different implants we're looking at is called a short cemented stem and a long press fit stem. So basically one is long around the size of a pencil, the other one is short, around the size of half a pencil, but they use cement to kind of compensate for the lack of length. And so in this case, this is a complex surgery because they've already had a knee replacement done. So there's only a set number of folks who need to have a revision done. That's a redo of that knee replacement. And that might be because it's worn out or because it's for some reason not functioning. Or what are some of the, in what you've looked at, what are some of the reasons why people have had to have a revision? So the two most common um, diagnoses I've come across is infection and loosening, implant loosening. So just when you think it's secure, it starts to move. Yeah. And that's not good. So, so far, you're looking at this long stem, this long as a pencil and then half a pencil, with cement maybe replacing that other, that other portion where it's not a complete implant. What do you think, which one is going to give the alignment? Which one is going to be easier, do you think? So just in chatting with Dr. Nakasone, he's always, he said that he always felt more confident with his alignment in the long press fit stems because in the middle of your tibia and femur, the bone gets narrower, and ideally that stem fits perfectly within that canal. However, more towards the knee is where the bone widens, which is what the cement would be used to fill. So when he's assessing alignment, he, I guess, assumes that the canal will hold the longer stems in place, keeping the alignment more I guess he's more Secure, confident. Secure, sure, in it. absolutely. Yeah. And you want to have good alignment because if you don't, that affects the rest of your joints and how you walk and every other aspect of how you mobilize, how you actually get around. Yeah, and it could potentially lead to another revision, which. A revision of a revision. Yeah. A third knee replacement. You don't want to have to do that, no. if at all possible. Certainly not something that, uh, that you'd want to choose if you could avoid it. All right. And so what kind of medicine do you want to go into? Have you been lured into the appeal of orthopedic surgery? Um, I thought I would be, but it's a very 
very male dominated specialty, but and I could. Oh, that's just from, not a reason not to go. Well, in just it. from observing surgery, I realized why it is. You know, it's very physical. You know, yeah, physical using power tools. It's still interesting, but. Well, and you've got this amazing neuroscience background, so I do hope that we get to take advantage of all of the things that you've learned, both in the brain and the psychology behind it. So certainly is something that we could use your expertise in a lot of different areas. So thanks for doing the research. Thank you. All right. And just when we thought that these were the end of our projects, nope, we've still got more. And next, we have a whole new project we're going to hear about. Hi, my name is Christopher Jenkins. I graduated from Kamehameha High School, Go Warriors. And I'm currently a junior at Pepperdine University uh, studying biology and religion. That's an interesting combination. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking of going into medicine? Yes. And what kind of project are you doing this summer? So this summer I'm working with Dr. Perohit. He's a pediatric intensivist at Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children. And we're focused on the health impacts of pediatric diabetes and diabetic ketoacidosis in Hawaii. So is there any particular age group that you're looking at? Right now, our inclusion criteria are patients 18 and younger. And what is diabetic ketoacidosis? So diabetic ketoacidosis occurs when there is an increase of blood sugar for a very long time. So when this occurs, our pancreas will start releasing glucagon, and that will cause fat to be burned for fuel. And when fat is burned for fuel, a byproduct of that are ketones released into the blood, and then that will increase the blood's acidity level. And that acidity level is part of that ketoacidosis, exactly. and it can cause some changes in the body that you don't want to see. Yes. Are kids particularly susceptible to this with all types of diabetes, or is there a particular type of diabetes you're looking at? So right now we're focused on type 1 diabetes. However, ketoacidosis, from what I've researched so far, is usually because there is a maltreatment of the diabetes where they're not being given their insulin shot regularly, and um, this will cause you know insulin levels and our glucose levels to be really high for a really long time if it's not treated correctly. And that's the main reason why they get admitted. Well, and one of the things that has revolutionized diabetes care is the development of continuous glucose monitors. And that, used in combination with an insulin pump, can really take away some of the guessing of what to do with insulin dosing. Because, you know, if you're a kid and all of your fellow classmates are all eating cupcakes and you're not allowed to have a cupcake... I kind of want one right now, but let's just <laughs> say, you know, that kind of puts you in a position where you feel like you're not able to fully participate. And then if you do have the cupcake and you have type 1 diabetes, you need more insulin to accommodate for that. Right. So it may be that the dosing that you have just doesn't take into an account all of those life factors of things that you just want to enjoy like everybody else does. Yes. So it certainly seems like, boy, a lot of hard work and things that have to go into treatment for Type kids with type 1 diabetes. I agree. It's truly a huge issue for, for patients, for their parents, for their school, for everybody involved. So hopefully we'll get even more sophisticated with these continuous glucose monitors and the ability to prevent these insulin spikes or these, these sugar spikes that need insulin spikes that don't have that ability to be as on time with the insulin needs. And the main thing we're actually looking at are complications that arise with the treatment of DKA. So if treated too quickly and the glucose is changed at a rapid pace, um, there can be cerebral edema or the swelling of the brain that will occur via the osmosis of water uh, following that glucose. So we're really concentrated to see how the hospitals are treating pediatric patients with uh, DKA. 
And it's a difficult thing. Yes. I remember years, uh, you know, when I was doing a diabetes service, when I was in my training where you have to pretty much be up all night, constantly checking sugars, making adjustments to the treatment. If you don't do it the right way, you can cause some serious harm. Yes. Even with the best of intentions. All right. Well, that sounds great that we're getting some research on how we can utilize some of the information that we do have to help us to better treat those individuals who happen to get admitted with this particular problem for diabetes called DKA or diabetes ketoacidosis. So sounds like a lot of learning you did over the summer. Yes, yes. It was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That's that's a good way for students to describe hard work over their free <laughs> summer. I appreciate your efforts and all that you've done to give up some of your time to do this. Okay, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. We still have two more exciting projects to hear about. We will be right back, and we'll talk with some more folks about what they're doing over the summer to help us expand the research right here in the islands. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Locations, Haleakala Waldorf School, and Honolulu Waldorf School. In the morning, I have my juice, my toast, and the BBC. In the evenings, especially Saturdays and Sundays, I I like Seth Marcos' show, um, I love American Roots. If I'm in the mood for classical music, again, I can just push the other button and listen to it. If I'm driving, it seems like whatever's on is good. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with the Hawaii Pacific Health Summer Student Research Program folks. And we have so far heard some really interesting studies looking at concussions, looking at hip knee replacements and what type of implant is best, hearing about diabetic ketoacidosis and what are the best treatments and looking at pre-participation EKGs and other testing that can be done for students if they're going to participate in certain high levels of sports. And that is not all. We're going to hear about some more interesting studies and here to tell us more. Hi, my name is Kyla Yamashita. I went to Punahou High School and I just graduated from Santa Clara University majoring in biology and public health science. Interesting. What a good combination, biology and public health science. So what are you doing this summer? This summer, I'm working with Dr. Heidi Hillsland. She's a physician of infectious disease in Kauai at Wilcox Medical Center. And we're looking at the epidemiology of mycobacteria in respiratory samples from Hawaii. So what is particular about mycobacteria? You've got biology. What's a mycobacteria? If you were to tell me why that's not just a regular bacteria, how would you explain that? Well, it's classified as, well, I'm looking at non-tuberculous and tuberculous. So you've heard of TB, I'm sure, and it's in the air and you can breathe in the bacteria and it affects the lungs. And if it's not treated, it can cause uh, permanent lung damage in the future. So we don't want to get that. Yeah, it's very harmful. And do we have more of it here in the islands than elsewhere? Yes, so that's why we're looking into it because the incidence in Hawaii has been going up and also with with both non-tuberculous mycobacteria as well as tuberculous bacteria. Why do you think we're getting more? So there's some risk factors that can, you know, cause you to be more susceptible, uh, lung problems like asthma or COPD, but also the islands being isolated in the middle of the ocean could have some environmental factors that can increase Hawaii residents' risk of contracting the disease. 
So you have these differences in mycobacterial infections. And what so far has come from the research? So right now we're looking at uh, the risk factors, so like what I just talked about with COPD and asthma. And then we also are looking at drug sensitivity, so seeing how effective drugs are in treating the NTM and TB lung diseases. And then we're also looking at the hot spots, so to see where which, which zip codes in Oahu and Kauai um, have a higher prevalence of the disease. And one of the things we have to really be careful about in particular is looking at drug resistance. Yes. That's something that's a huge issue. And we're always trying to minimize the overuse of antibiotics, not just for bacterial infections, but also for these mycobacterial infections. They can often become resistant to the usual treatment, and that can be a problem. Definitely. All right. Well, that's an interesting, that's that's a neat way to look at it because you're into public health. You're looking at zip codes. What are the hot spots? What are the risk factors? How can we contain that? Really taking a comprehensive look at that. So that's going to be an exciting result that you come up with. And I'm glad that you're being able to incorporate not just Oahu, but also Kauai to give us a, a little bit more of a statewide idea of how this might affect our population. Yes. So. And my PI is also from Kauai. So that's really great to have that perspective as well. Shout out to Kauai. <laughs> I want to go. I want to just go hang out and uh, say hi to everybody over there at Wilcox. All right. So thanks for doing that and spending spending your summer doing that research project for us. Thank you. And last but not least, in the hot seat here to my left, tell me about your project. Hello. My name is Tyrone Samipkai. I'm currently a senior at Johns Hopkins University. I'm studying chemical and biomolecular engineering, and I also went to Punahou School. So were you a mathlete? Did they have such a thing? Yeah, I, I did a lot of math growing up in high school. Fellow <laughs> mathlete. I feel a little bit better already because, boy, I bet you could also have been an athlete. And I, yeah, that, that's, that's not one of my areas of expertise, I'll tell you. <laughs> so tell me, what are you working on this summer? Um, so this summer, I'm working with Dr. Lauren Yamamoto and Dr. Janet Lee at Kapiolani. And we're looking at minimizing the use of broad-spectrum antibiotic usage um, to treat streptococcal pharyngitis or strep throat and scarlet fever. We were just talking about those antibiotics. They're so good when they're needed, and if you use them when they're not, that's a problem. So do you think we use too many antibiotics in general? Um, I think there's definitely an overuse of, an an unnecessary overuse of antibiotics, especially from what I've seen through my results so far. Um, We tend to not understand the harms that antibiotics can have, especially on our microbiomes and killing the good bacteria that exist and potentially leading to further disease as a result. So what are you looking at in particular regarding the folks who present with some strep issues? Um, So first, we're looking at um, patients with simple strep, so um, strep infections where um, simple penicillin could be used, a narrow-spectrum antibiotic, um, which directly targets the group A streptococci bacteria, um, and basically looking at those instances and seeing whether or not penicillin was given or if broader spectrum antibiotics such as amoxicillin or cephalosporins were given instead. And in that case, you're finding out if people are giving the appropriate narrow spectrum versus a broader spectrum antibiotic. And if they are given the broader spectrum, are there sequelae to that, concerns? Um, there's, we're look, especially um, looking at how it could potentially, potentially harm the human microbiome, so the microorganisms that exist within our body, um, and when the good, good when the anti, when the antibiotics affect the good bacteria in our body, then it can lead to further harm, and which we want to avoid as much as possible. And the other thing is, it can also 
develop resistance. So exactly. when we have this issue with bacteria that no longer can be treated with standard antibiotics, there are a couple of reserved antibiotics out there. And those are ones that can only be prescribed by certain physicians, usually infectious disease specialists, because of the high risk nature of having bacteria become resistant to those. And it's something that is just the CDC has been pushing on all the docs about this to try and avoid having us overuse antibiotics. And very often, as a practicing doc, I know patients come in and say, I know you don't want to give them to me. I know I'm sick. I know I need it this time. And it's often difficult for people to be able to self-modify that behavior, and it becomes a challenge for them to try and appropriately use the medicine when they need to. Well, I want to thank all of you for giving up some of your summer to do these amazing projects. There's still some research to be done. I know that you're all really working hard, learning a lot about the islands that you've already known because you grew up here, but learning about the medical community here in the islands. And hopefully we'll be able to get you so excited that whenever you go forth to school, you'll come back and practice right here in the islands because we could use every one of you in any profession that you choose to go into. So do come back. I hope you had a great experience this summer. I'm always excited to hear about these projects. If you want to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. We're also on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week as we do every Monday right here on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!